Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 230, Gaming on a Budget. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, we always start the podcast by me going, Anthony... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I noticed recently because I edit all the episodes and I'm like, oh, I know exactly what happens here. Most people think intro is all pre-recorded, but we do it every week. And every week I say, and Anthony on top of everything else, <laughs> as if somebody else is here. That's funny. That's, that's very meta, but it's it's 100% true. <laughs> uh it's funny like you get in a habit we do it literally every week it's the exact same time every week so of course we say the same things every week why not it's true people probably skip the first like 30 seconds they're like oh i know it's you it's you and uh, yeah it's anthony again (laughs) and maybe next time it'll be jason again or somebody else so listen for next week i guarantee you i will say something different than anthony I think actually that's just going to happen, right? You're going to be out of town next week. Yeah, I will be out of town. Yes, I am actually going to Cooperstown, New York. One of my favorite baseball players from when I was a kid, Edgar Martinez, finally got into the Hall of Fame his last year of eligibility. I know not everybody out there is a baseball fan and far fewer of you are Mariners fans, but it's a big, big deal to me. So I went up there when Ken Griffey Jr. went in the Hall of Fame. I'm going to go again for Edgar Martinez. We're going to be out of town for a few days, so. I will not be on the next week's episode. Are you outing yourself as a jock on a board game podcast, man? I don't know if baseball is really like a jock sport. I feel like that's the nerd sport. If there's going to be a nerd sport, it's baseball. So (laughs) I feel safe. I was not good at playing baseball, but I love it. And therefore, I'm a baseball nerd. All right. So while Anthony is off baseballing, we will continue to board gaming. Board Gamers Anonymous here each and every week for you talking about the greatest and the latest in board gaming i think in fact we're coming up on our six-year anniversary not too far i think probably late august right yeah yeah i was actually looking at these dates not too long ago it's impossible to know exactly when we started because there's a website launch date a podcast launch date and then the actual time we recorded it which was like two or three weeks before the podcast launch date it's august Mm -hmm. somewhere in august We'll just say the whole month. (laughs) You pick a day, it's that day, and there we go. Exactly. All right, well, there you go. We got a lot going on this week. So, Anthony, before we get started, let's talk about some of the great stuff that we're doing. Let's talk about our Patreon contest. Yeah, so we have the uh, weekly Patreon contest. We took a week off uh, for the 4th of July, but we are back in full. Uh, We launched one last week, and we had... Thematically speaking, because it's my collection these typically come from, eight components from my personal top 100 games, and most of them were in the top 50. So that kind of narrowed it down. It made it a little bit easier, and a lot of people have been having trouble lately with that. The number of correct answers was an all-time high. We had, I think, six people got all of them right, but Chris got all of them right first. So we've set it up now where you have to fill out a form, so it's easier for me to see exactly when all the right answers come in, because we had some kind of like answers coming in from nine different directions before. And I know at least one person I missed one of their answers in the past. So that has been resolved. Chris got in there first by like an hour, by the way. So Chris, good job getting in there before everybody else. And uh, yeah, I'll be hitting up Chris for 
uh, the contest winning list of games that he can choose from, and he'll be able to pick one of those from Game Surplus, and it'll be on its way next week. All right. Well, congratulations, Chris, and uh, thanks, everyone, for supporting the podcast, whether it's on patreon.com slash BGA. It helps keep us going or just letting other people know about the podcast, especially those people that sell you board games, whether it's your local friendly game store or your online resource. If you have an opportunity, drop our name with them so that they can kind of help us in the future talk about more great games. So, Anthony, that's what's going on with BGA. Big award season, as always. But what's going on with our listeners? What's our question of the week? All right, question of the week is thematic to our topic of the week. I asked everybody, what is your recommendation for one game at $20 or less? And I got to thinking about this just because of how expensive board games are getting, like all these games in my office. I've been trying to clean it up lately and how much I've spent on them, especially with conventions coming up. And I got a lot of great answers, actually. Like I figured it'd be just like a handful of games that were kind of similar. And there were a few that popped up, but there's a lot of different games here. So I'm going to run through a few of these, the ones that aren't on our personal lists for later in the episode. But we have Dead Squirrel. This is his Facebook name, so I don't know the actual name, but he mentions Matine or Food Truck Champion. Those are kind of the same game. There's riffs on uh, Glory to Rome. We have Biblios from C.T. Henry, as well as Cindy. Actually, a couple other people mentioned Biblios as well. Biblios is a great game. It's a game I haven't played in a while, but it's it's really, really solid. It's inexpensive. It's still in print, which is amazing for a game like this. Often they kind of disappear if you haven't heard about them in a while. So that's well worth checking out. Gary mentioned Sushi Go. Carl mentioned Targi. Uh, Michael and a handful of other people mentioned Jaipur as a great two-player game. Uh, we had several different mentions of Star Realms, both Star Realms, Star Realms Frontiers, Hero Realms, kind of the whole Realms universe from uh, White Wizard Games. Um, Five-Minute Dungeon, twice as clever. Some people mentioned games that like MSRP is higher than 20, but you can routinely find them for less than 20. Like Scott mentioned First Martians. Um, which I 100% agree with. If you can find this for less than 20 bucks, pick it up. It is actually a very good game. There are lots of videos to help you learn the game. Ignore the rule book. It's solid. Ignore the rating. It's, it's a good game. We have Ticket to Ride New York and upcoming London. Same thing, like a, a quick 30-minute version of Ticket to Ride for like 20 bucks. Fantastic, quick, easy to teach to kids. Love those. Code names. Honestly, any party game kind of fits the bill. Oh My Goods is another great one. Uh, Shards of Infinity, Haggis or Arboretum, Munchkin. So congratulations, Jason, for jumping in and saying Munchkin. Cat Lady is another one I hear a lot of people talk about. I have not personally played it, but I've heard a lot of good things. Uh, that was from Adrian. And Drew mentions Welcome To, which is one of my favorites from last year. So like I said, lots and lots of good answers. I think we had 31. And the, like, the total number of thumbs up on these, like different people, not us, just different people going in here and saying, yeah, that's a great game. I want to pick that up as well, was like one of our all-time highs. We had like 100 plus people just checking out all these games people are mentioning. So lots and lots of good games for relatively inexpensive if you're tired of spending 80 or $90 on a Kickstarter, which I think a lot of us are. Absolutely, and especially since Amazon has their Prime Days, cool stuff has been running some sales, and Miniature Market did their Asmodee kind of drop. So there's been a lot of opportunity to pick up some games out there. And obviously as the season kind of progresses and of course, Gen Con happens, then games are really going to hit the market pretty hard. Speaking of which you're going to be at Gen Con, aren't you? 
Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I realized that I've been saying for months that I'm not going. And then about three or four weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were talking and I realized, actually, I can go just logistically. It works out for those few days. and I can't actually make it. And then I scrambled to actually make logistics work for my side, like transportation and housing and tickets and everything else. But yes, I will be at Gen Con. I'm going to get there on Wednesday. I'm leaving on Monday. I don't have a ton of plans. So if you're in the area, if you're at Gen Con, you want to say hi, you want to grab a game, grab a meal, whatever it is, you know, hit me up. If you're a Patreon backer, hit me up in Slack. If you're not, hit us up on Facebook. Um, I'll be around. I'll be checking out all the new stuff. All right. So there's an open invitation to Game with Anthony at Gen Con. So check it out and uh, see where you can meet him up. All right, Anthony. So that's everything from our listeners. Let's get on to the episode and let's talk about the games that are hitting our table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Yeah. So this one is for me, Dwellings of Eldervale. This is a new one from Breaking Games. Designed by Luke Laurie, who designed one of my favorite games from a couple years ago, Manhattan Project Energy Empire. So this is similar to that in a couple of small ways. It's a worker placement game, but if you look at it, it's a massive, sprawling, epic, giant miniatures game because it's it's on Kickstarter, so of course it is. And there's other stuff mixed in. So it's not just worker placement. You've got area control with all those miniatures. You've got engine building where you're trying to generate all these resources and move forward with what you're trying to do. It's a huge epic fantasy world. So you've got different elemental monsters and dragons and wizards and warriors are all kind of fighting over these different realms. You're working with these different factions, going on adventures. But at the core, at the core of all this Kickstarter craziness... You have what looks to be a fairly solid worker placement game from Luke Laurie, whose previous worker placement game in Energy Empire, I really, really liked. You know, it's a game I, it just snuck up on me. I didn't actually play a Manhattan Project before, so I had no attachment to the theme or the, the, the branding there. I just really enjoyed his spin on how you use those workers, how they stacked, and then kind of how you built out and managed your tableau. Very cool stuff. Now, Breaking Games has been doing a lot of really cool productions lately. Um, Rise of Tribes looks beautiful. A few of the other games is really nice. So this one, again, uh, like these elemental monsters, these giant miniatures. So, it's, you know, they have like wooden components that are shaped like monsters and stuff. But then they have huge, massive miniatures, not your typical 18 millimeters. We're talking 50 millimeters tall. So like two to three times bigger than your average monster miniature. And they're like color coordinated as well that would be part of the game these are of course deluxe edition and legendary edition only so eh, you know it is kickstarter that's kind of the way stuff breaks down but i don't know i like it looks really interesting i'm hoping i don't know like i was hoping that this would last past the convention take a look at it i'm sure they have like a production copy there but the kickstarter ends in nine days so i can have to make my decision here in the next week or so, whether I'm going to back this or not. There's a lot of stuff happening on the board. There's a lot of miniatures, there's a lot of mechanics. I've been generally avoiding games like that lately because it's just too, too much. They tend not to be edited very well. Too much stuff going on. It's a little crazy. And it's $100, of course, because that's what things cost on Kickstarter now. But I am very tempted. So it's, I don't know, it's worth checking out. Take a look, watch the video, see if it's for you. I'm, I'm still on the fence myself. That's uh, Dwellings of Eldervale on Kickstarter. 
Yeah, this is a strange campaign page. I mean, it's probably the longest campaign page I've seen in quite some time. There's a lot of information there. So definitely check that out. It looks like uh, Game Trays is in on this. So pretty much everything comes with a really nicely crafted, I guess, vacuum form plastic tray to put your stuff. So that's pretty great. As you mentioned, since this does come with so much stuff and you probably want all the stuff, it looks like this is probably going to be, I don't know, a $139 pledge plus shipping. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. And this time of year, too, like it's like it ends a week and a half before Gen Con. Like, I don't have budget for this right now, but I'm really. Tempted. Yeah. So if you are interested and you should, this, there's a lot of cool stuff about this. And as Anthony mentioned, Breaking Games really has hit their stride with putting out some really nice productions. The final day for the Kickstarter will be Thursday, July 25th. You got a little more time? Check it out and let us know. All right, Anthony, I got something for you I think you'll be pretty surprised about. I know that you recently uh, was able to back Yurgisil, a game that you and I played a long, long time ago when we first started the podcast. And it was a game about Norse mythology before the whole Marvel Universe kind of thing really popped that up. And it was a great co-op game. And it turns out, that the designer is revisiting this and has kind of transformed Yurgisil into a pretty elaborate game. It's still a co-op game, so to speak, but it also has, I guess probably the best way to say it was not necessarily a legacy situation, but a scenario book where you can kind of upgrade your characters and play through different adventures. And... Probably most importantly, beyond just the artistic upgrade here, which is really nice, it comes with a 3D Yurgisil tree on top of everything yeah. else that you play on. <laughs> yep, that tree, man. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you're looking at, like, what if Thor played Everdell? Because it looks like that kind of situation where the meeples and the tokens and the cards are on the different levels of the world tree and actually positioning is going to be important. And it's utilizing a lot of the original mechanics of the game. So as the gods come out and they mess with everything, they'll be placed in different parts. This looks pretty fantastic, right? Yeah. I mean, I love Yggdrasil. Like you said, I, when there was a very limited number of copies on BGG, I jumped in on it. I think we were actually at PAX and it like jumped up and I pre-ordered it then and there like at PAX on my phone while we were waiting in line. Cause I'm like, I haven't been able to find this game for years. I want it. And then rumors came out that this was going to happen. This new updated version with all these extra mechanics, and like the, the Chronicle method. And while I haven't played the original a ton since I got it, I have played it a couple times. I'm super excited for this. I love the theme. I love the mechanics. I love just kind of its unique take on co-op. I'm not a huge co-op fan, but I really like what this one does. So I'm kind of excited to see what it does with the new mechanics. Yeah, they even had the original app that played for quite a long time. And it was actually a really solid app. And it was a co-op game that would really punish you and you would lose. It did not mess around as far as that's concerned. So, yes. So definitely check this out. It looks to be a really interesting version of Yurgisil, especially if you haven't played it before. Definitely check this out. That's Yurgisil Chronicles. 
All right, Anthony, so that's everything that we want to hit to the table. Let's talk about the games that will hit the table this past week, and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and enjoy those games, those games are a dodge and avoid them all costs. Or if those games are a burn and you should just avoid those games at all costs. All right, Anthony, so what do you have for us this week? All right, I have a game that kind of flew under the radar for me forever. This was announced back in like early 2018 from Osprey Games. It is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, a board game of English magic. Uh, It's from Osprey Games, which is probably why it flew under the radar. They don't do a ton of advertising for their games, but it is designed by Marco Maggi and Francesco Depatello, and artwork is by Ian O'Toole. So the designers are the pair behind War of the Ring, and the artist is one of my favorite artists who does all the work for like Vital Lacerda's games um, and a ton of other stuff on top of it. The book that this is based on also happens to be one of my favorite novels, this Victorian-style novel from 2004 about magicians in 19th century England. So it had everything going for it. When I saw that it existed, I was like, how did I not know this existed? I immediately ordered it from Amazon. It showed up a few days later, and I've had a few chances to play it now. I, man, I wish they were promoting this more because it, it's just, there's so many pieces going in here. Just like, how is this not like a higher profile game? Um, mechanically speaking, so if you know the theme, it is, again, it's magicians in 19th century England. It's almost 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 like a magical realism a take where oh they're magicians they do tricks or wait is that real magic and then at a certain point it's just like yeah it's very clearly real magic they're doing real tricks they're doing real you know spells and it has an impact on the 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 flow of english history um it's very very compelling as a novel again one of my favorite books the game however um is definitely more mechanic driven so it is not a super super thematic game it is Uh, you are moving from point to point on a map. You have a map of Europe. You have a map of London. You move between these different points. You play cards that allow you to make connections with people and score points, as well as, you know, get invitations to different parties and and, and various social functions that allow you to draw additional cards or pick up new spells. The theme comes in like the flavor text on the cards. So these different introduction cards, for example, are frequently characters from european and english history that um you would recognize some of them are fictional most of them are real so you have you know like authors you have kings and queens you have politicians all with you know tools beautiful artwork you have fake newspaper um entries about like strange happenings in europe and england at the time Uh, these are your spells that you can complete um, feats of magic that you can uh complete by gathering these different resources mechanically speaking though the game is I want to say simple, but it's not quite as simple as you might think. You are playing different cards to generate all these various things, but at every round, you really only have access to a few different potential resources, right? So there's six of them in the game. You can only access one or two at a time unless you take other actions to access more. There's ways to like unlock other ones, and there's like different things you can purchase that will allow you to access even more of them. Um, special abilities you want to use those and discard cards that match them to take those different types of resources which are basically elements so you have like wind and earth and water and match them to the feats of magic on these newspapers 
when you complete those, you generate points as well as spells that you can use that are like special abilities. So the game is like this very careful push and pull where you're trying to chain all these things together, plan for the different cards that come out. Um, all of the like round event cards are on tarot cards, like French tarot cards, which are beautifully illustrated again. And it's there's a deck of 12 of them. You don't know which ones are going to come out, but you kind of have a general idea of what's possible for them to come out. So you kind of want to think and plan like, okay, well, I know this card's already come out and it had earth and the water on it. So I'm not going to get that exact combination again, but maybe water will come back out with another one. Um, each of the characters in the game, it plays up the four. There's four characters, uh, has a special ability that kind of breaks the rules a little bit. And it, it flows really smoothly. I mean, the first couple plays definitely went upwards of the two hour mark. Um, I can see how it gets down to the one hour to 90 minute mark that's on the box, but it seems like that's probably, you know, experienced players all playing together, which is kind of the ideal situation, which never happens. So I would say two hours um, weight wise. BGG has it at 2.5. I'd give it a little bit higher, but not a lot. Uh, it is definitely super mechanics driven. So if you look at BGG, the rating's a little bit lower. It's like at a 7, 7.1. I think that's just because people want this to be a more thematic game, and it's really not. But mechanically speaking, I do like what they did with it. I like the push and pull. I like the different things people are doing. There's not a ton of interaction because you can kind of go wherever you want on the map. But the cards you draw, when you draw them, how you get through the decks is definitely highly interactive. So it's not purely um, multiplayer solitaire. It's good. I mean, it is not a game I feel like I'm going to get to the table a ton. It's definitely not on par with some of their other better games, or the Ring, for example. But it's a very, very solid play. For me, it pushes up to something I'm happy to own because I love the theme so much, and it's such a pretty-looking game. But for people who don't know the novel, don't necessarily care about the artwork or the presentation, um, I think it's just a solid, definite play. It's worth checking out, especially if you like, like, these types of tableau building set collection type of games. It's definitely very solid on that front. It's not quite a buy from that front, like being purely neutral on my end, but it's a solid game worth checking out. Hopefully they do a little bit more advertising on it. If not, if you're at a convention, track it down. It is from Osprey Games. Again, they don't do a ton of advertising, uh, but it is very solid. So that is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, a board game of English magic. This is really unique as, as far as board gaming is concerned. Do you think or have they said anything along the lines of like other versions of this or utilizing this system with other books? I don't know. I mean, it's I mean, you easily could. I feel like like the point to point movement system. I mean, it works because it's a map because but it could work in any situation. I don't know. I guess I don't know which came first here, the chicken or the egg. Like, hey, we have this theme. Let's build a game around it. Or, hey, us designers, we have a game. We need a theme to put on it. Who has one that we can build with? In this case, I feel like it could, go, could have gone either way, which is not like a striking endorsement of the theme of the game. But the artwork, the flavor text, the presentation, I think all does a good job of bringing the theme out. So... If you were to take this same mechanics and like re-implement it with another novel, I think it would work just fine. But it would definitely need a lot of work to just make it look as pretty and as evocative as this one does. Nice. You have something else for us? Yeah. So one other game uh, that I got to play actually three times recently, um, much quicker, much shorter. It is called QE, 
which stands for quantitative easing. Uh, so as you can imagine, it's an economic game, but it's actually kind of a party game. And this one, it's it's unique in a couple ways. One, it's an auction game, pure auction game. Two, you can bid whatever you want. And when I say whatever you want, I mean literally whatever you want. A billion dollars, go for it. A trillion, sure. Quintillion, just why not? You know, like it's infinite how high you can go. The idea of the game is you have a stack of different tiles. They're round tiles and they are for, they represent different countries as well as industries, right? Um, And the countries represent the different players in the game. So I think it's three to five players. You place them out. There's one person who's the auctioneer. They flip one over. The auctioneer writes down a price, whatever they want. Again, like from $1 to infinite amount of dollars. You put it out and then everybody else bids face down. The auctioneer looks at all those different bids, marks down the one who won, hands them the token that won the uh, auction, and then you move on, right? And you go around, you do this three times around the table. So everybody gets to be the auctioneer three times. And then at the end of it, you look and see a few things. First, who has the most spent, whatever that might be. It could be millions, it could be billions, it could be trillions. What it, whoever that is loses the game immediately, your currency spirals out of control and your country loses solvency. <laughs> so you have quantitatively eased your currency into oblivion. Whoever spent the least amount of money gets bonus points, seven actually, which is a ton of points in this game. Um, and then you score for different sets. So if you bought your own country's tiles, you get bonus points. If you um, have sets of different types of manufacturing, whatever, you know, industries and resources you get points for diversification as well as having multiples of the same type you get points for the actual tiles themselves and then you see how the most points the points they're important it matters but honestly throughout the game you're not really thinking about the points so much as i want to win tiles and i don't want to bid the most and it's this weirdly social game where the dynamic is very heavily what are you gonna do so that I can make sure I either outdo you or underdo you. Like, for example, I played this game with a few different people multiple times, but what the same one person was in the game both times, Ryan, who tends to bid insane amounts of money in auction games. He just goes crazy, like just insane amounts of money. That doesn't mean you lose in this game, though. In some games, you're just you're going to lose because you're giving away all your money. In this game, though, all you're doing is resetting the market to a higher level. So. If in the second auction of the game, you're like, all right, $2 billion, then probably the next auctioneer is going to say, all right, well, let's start at a billion dollars because I know I'm safe to bid a billion because you've already paid $2 billion, right? So it's kind of a like, I know you did this, so I can do this, but maybe he'll do this and then I could do that. Like, it's very much trying to get inside each other's heads and figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work. It's a lot of fun. Like, I don't typically love auction games and i don't typically love social almost it's not really deduction but it kind of is um kind of games but for whatever reason this one is just a blast i really have a lot of fun with it it can go a lot of different ways depending on who's playing and how many people are playing and how crazy they want to be each time i played it was unique and also very entertaining so it is like 20 or 30 bucks it's a solid production it's from (laughs) boardgametables.com it's the publisher of all people if you're looking for that kind of game, I would say this one's a buy. Definitely check it out. Uh, that's QE, and that stands for quantitative easing, although the box just says Q period E period. 
So well worth checking out. Yeah, it's always the most challenging thing about auction games is that first auction when you're not really sure how much you should bid on things just because there's been no established baseline for making those types of bids. And if you get it wrong, you're going to have a long day because you're probably not going to be able to dig yourself out of that initial hole. So it's nice to see a game that actually focuses on the bidders instead of one specific bid. Exactly. Yeah. And the cool thing is like, I like for one, the one game I went first as the auctioneer. Right. And so I just put a thousand dollars down. I was like, the starting bid is a thousand. And then everybody put in their bids and they were literally like one person bid 3000, one bid person bid a hundred thousand, one person bid 500,000. <laughs> Just a huge spread of bids, like where everybody thought the game should start. And yeah. so I I then had all this information to say, okay, well, he's starting at 500K. I know he's already spent 500K. I'm safe to bid upwards of 500K on the next one. Nobody else knows that, right? Mm. It's kind of a cool mechanic. Oh, very nice. All right, so that's everything that's hitting our table this week. Let's get on to the feature review. All right, so for our feature review this week, we are talking about gaming on a budget this is obviously something we like to come back to each and every time and in specifically for us here at bga we really want to help you make the best purchases possible obviously with the smallest amount of money possible so that you can buy even more great games out there so that's typically why we let you know if games are a buy a play a dodge or a burn but for this feature review we're going to tell you what our some of the best games, especially if you're on a budget, and in particular, if those games are on the light side, the medium side, or if you're looking for something more complex on the heavy side, and, you know, something that's going to be fit in your budget. So, Anthony, you and I have been dealing with our very, very tight budgets uh, when it comes to board gaming and, you know, basically whatever else we can do to make that board gaming budget even a little bigger, uh, how have you managed this throughout the years? Not very well, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not good at budgets, but I mean, I've gotten better lately just because I'm running out of space. I'm trying to be more careful and, you know, just life as it comes. But sure. I, I've kind of come to appreciate the games that can be inexpensive and yet offer a significant experience. And the games I want to talk about today kind of epitomize that and that i've played them probably as much as if not more than most of the games i own and they are all 20 30 or less so it, it is impressive what people can kind of jam into a box sometimes nice yeah i know for me too kickstarter has really transformed the market obviously asmodee came along and they kind of threw out their map pricing which definitely switched things around so Anytime you can get a game at a reasonable price, $20 or so, it's really a welcome addition to the collection because you can get that game played once or twice and feel like you got your money's worth. And any more than that, you really are earning after all that. So let's get on to the games that we want to talk about, Anthony. So what do you have on the lighter side? Yeah, so the first one I had to mention was uh, from Button Shy Games. So if you're not familiar with Button Shy, they release a wallet game on Kickstarter every month or so. Um, it's 12 bucks. I'm thinking the Kickstarter, if you back it, it's 10 And it's a little folding wallet that has 18 cards in it, and it's a whole game. Usually it plays between like one and three players. Some of them are actually even less cards. Some of them are more. But they're all inexpensive. Specifically, though, um, there are a handful of these that are really, really good. Pentacork is 
one of my earliest ones I backed from them. And then they have a new one from Elizabeth Hargrave, who did Wingspan, Tussie Mussy, that I recently backed. And I've had a chance to play the, the preview of that. Also very good. But the one that I've played more than any other, I've played this game like 50 times now, is Sprawlopolis. Now, this is probably their best known game as well. So maybe you've heard of it. But it's 18 cards in a deck. Each card has four different quadrants on it and some roads. And every game, you're going to throw them out there and you're trying to stack them and lay them over each other to meet a variety of different conditions. There's three different scoring conditions in every game. You gain points for specific things based on how big your different sectors are. You lose points for the number of roads you have. And then you gain or lose points based on these various scoring cards you pull out. There's several different expansions. There's like one with like a basically a Godzilla destroying things. There's one with like extra industries. It is a fun, fun game that I almost always have in my bag. Even if I'm like just going to work at a coffee shop and I'm like, maybe I don't feel like working for 10 minutes. I'll play a quick game of this. Sprawlopolis is absolutely fantastic. And while it is on the lighter end, it can really make you think if you're trying to min-max your score. So well, we're well, well worth picking up as long as it's in stock. If you're at a convention or something, definitely track this one down. All right, for me, a game that I typically wouldn't think about, or maybe you haven't thought about, this game is The Grizzled. Now, what's really interesting about The Grizzled is you get a co-op game that is taking on a different theme, especially when it comes to co-ops. Now, what we're looking at here is you are trying to survive the trenches during the First World War, and all of the players are working together to hopefully survive this traumatic situation. And they do so by playing cards, and based upon how and when they play the cards, and based on matching or not matching the symbols, and dealing with the threats and the trauma that they're facing, they're able, hopefully, to get through the battle and achieve victory for everyone concerned. Uh, the artwork is truly evocative and in particular uh, speaks to the time in which we are currently living and trying to find you know, some peace in this world and support each other. So generally co-ops are just kind of like very large solo games. This one, you do feel like you're in it together and you are struggling and supporting each other throughout the process. And it's a fairly inexpensive game. You can pick this game up for $20 at pretty much any online resource, or I think it's about $25 if you purchase it MRSRP. There's an expansion to it. There's a super upgraded version to the game. But the standard version with this wonderful artwork, with this wonderful gameplay, if you're looking for a co-op, and I'm not typically a big co-op fan, this one is engaging. It's The Grizzled. All right, my next game is The Castles of Burgundy, the card game. Now, The Castles of Burgundy is fairly inexpensive on its own, and I almost put it on this list, except it seems like Robinsberger and Alea have stopped printing the original cheaper version because they have the new edition coming out later this year that I have a feeling they're going to up the price on. This one, however, is a card game. It's in a tiny little box, and it costs $10. But for $10, bucks, you are getting a whole heck of a lot of the game. There are hundreds of cards in this box that represent all the different pieces that you would know from um, the Castles of Burgundy. And while you don't have kind of the, the dice drafting mechanic and all that stuff, what you do have is set collection. You're trying to build out these different sets of cards. You have all of the chain reactions that you get in Castles of Burgundy. So if you place out enough of the silver mines, for example, you take the special silver mine actions. Um, you are also trying to capture those cards for having a certain number of cards in a set. You have dice cards that 
reference the different rows in which they're in. The cards you play from your hand have dice on them as well. So it emulates all the pieces of Castle of Burgundy, which is a dice-driven tableau-building uh, Euro game, with all with cards. So it still has all those mechanics. It takes up a huge amount of space on the table. It honestly feels like a full-blown Euro game, but it's 10 bucks. It takes less than an hour to play. And it has a lot going on. So Castle of Burgundy, the card game, is in my top 100 games. It's a fantastic, quick little game, again, that I just keep close to me, that I always have near my bag if I'm going on a trip, and is well worth checking out if you're looking for like a medium weight game that you can pick up for just a few bucks. So that is the Castles of Burgundy, the card game. Next up for me on the medium weight game, games that offer a little bit of complexity, but still a lot of fun. A game that I bring around with me all the time, even though there is now an upgraded version of it, this game is Citadels. Citadels is a fantastic game because it really incorporates two kind of gaming genres. So one is the hit and roll mechanic, where at the start of the game, there's going to be a drafting turn. You will pick out a particular character, and based upon the draft, you'll have a general idea what the previous players might be. And of course, you'll have an idea of what the future players might be. So there gives you a little situation there, but you're not targeting players so much. You're targeting characters. So targeting characters is a lot less hostile. It's a lot more engaging. And each of the characters have a special ability that allow you to build up the Citadel. It has a tableau building situation. So you're collecting gold to build up these special buildings. Some have special abilities on top of everything else. This game is fairly inexpensive. As I mentioned, there is a new upgraded version to it, which is also not too expensive. But even if you pick up the base version of this game, you could pick it up for about 20 bucks. If you pick up the new version, it's about 25 bucks. Both versions are fantastic, really engaging game, whether you tend to be more of a Euro gamer or more of a social gamer. Citadels is a fantastic game. All right. And my last one here at the top end. Um, so, there are not a ton of really heavy games that you can get for on the cheap unless you find them on discount. But one game that has a ton of depth and is a little bit heavier and you can find for $25 or $30 uh, if, you, if you look around is the Arkham Horror card game. And that kind of applies to most of the Fantasy Flight LCGs. They're all like the intro level starter box tends to be fairly inexpensive. And then they get you by, you know, all the different packs and deluxe expansions and all that. But this game in particular has a lot in that original box. There's multiple different investigations and cases you can go through. There's multiple characters to play through. There's a lot of depth to this game. And there's a reason it's the number one customizable game on BGG. It takes everything that I loved about Lord of the Rings, the card game. It streamlines it. It makes it more intuitive. It adds a lot more story elements to it. It adds branching paths and decisions that actually influence how you play in the future. It streamlines down the deck building, but not so much that it's not there. It's just much more strategic than tactical, like it was in Lord of the Rings. And it honestly, if I don't love the Arkham Horror theme, but regardless of that, this is still my favorite card game, period. It just has so much going on for it. And once you get into like the second or third set, and again, we're getting into like more money spent, but the game transforms and it brings all these new mechanics and it just really introduces you to new and exciting ideas that you do not see in this type of game, just well above and beyond what other card games and similar living card games and the likes are doing. So if you're looking for something heavier, if you're looking for something more engaging, that's almost like a lifestyle game that you can just play indefinitely, 
especially this one because it's been out for like three years now. Arkham Horror, the card game is absolutely worth checking out. It's, it's my favorite heavy game on the cheap and um, probably one of the best card games out there, period. Now, another game on the cheap as far as fairly inexpensive, but fairly complex as far as games go the perfect mix of this is not one of those epic games, but in fact is Mintworks. Mintworks is a game in a little mint tin. And in particular, this game is all about being a worker placement game that you could basically put in your pocket. So what you're doing here is utilizing multiple location cards in order to transform and be able to place more buildings out. They're going to give you more special abilities. If you've ever played a worker placement game, you are going to get this game from the start, but it's got really decent mechanics, really great graphic design, and it's easy and quick to play. But yet, since it's a worker placement game, it offers a lot of complexity as far as what buildings to select, how you can kind of roll them together, and obviously trying to get them before everyone else gets them. So for me, Mintworks, as far as a inexpensive but fun and complex game fits the bill all right anthony so that is everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all a seat at the table Listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com.